Beloved, please join with me in turning in your copy of God's Word to the book of Hebrews in chapter 10, Hebrews 10 and verse 11. We have been going through the book of Hebrews, I think since September of last year, with a few, a few breaks here and there, including last week, and we have been in an extended passage section of Hebrews from chapter 7 until where we are today in chapter 10 uh, that has been talking about the priesthood of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus. And actually our, our passage today ends a, a, a section that began at the very beginning of the book that was focused on the, the work that God has done in Jesus Christ, fixing us our eyes on Jesus and the reality of what he has done for us. And the passage, starting immediately after where we are today, begins the remainder of the book where he's talking about uh, how to apply this, how, how he wants us as believers who are seeking to, be, to persevere in the midst of life, how we, how we flesh this out in the, our daily lives. Uh, but today, it's, it's almost like a, a, a climax, a, a high point of what he's been saying. It's coming to full focus as he talks about the nature of perfection in Jesus Christ. So if you would, out of adoration for God's word, uh, please stand with me as we read this together. I'll be reading Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 to 18. So hear now God's holy, infallible, and inerrant word. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Let's pray together. Father, we do pray that uh, you would speak to us clearly through your word. We want to hear your voice speaking to our hearts. We want to be uh, receptive children with open ears. We want to be able to focus in the midst of the distractions of our lives. We want you, you to remind us of all that you have done in your son, Jesus Christ, that we might be encouraged. And so we do pray that your spirit would do these things, that you would be present with us through the preaching of your word, even through the weakness of human flesh. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. In 1989, Toyota Motor Corporation launched a new luxury vehicle division by the name of Lexus. Lexus was entering a luxury vehicle market that was already dominated by the likes of Cadillac and Lincoln and BMW and Mercedes. And so in order to compete, 
they devised a clever marketing strategy. They wouldn't be the biggest or the most established, but they would seek to be the best, the highest quality in every aspect of their business, from vehicle quality to quality of customer service. They sold quality, and they communicated this strategy through the slogan that is now famous, the relentless pursuit of perfection. And beloved, isn't it true that so much of our lives, uh, our experience is centered around this concept of perfection? I think many of us, most of us probably, would probably describe our life as an attempt at a relentless pursuit of perfection. Some of us in our pride might think that we're the closest thing this world has to perfection. And then others, others of us just stop trying to pursue perfection altogether, uh, having resigned ourselves to the fact that perfection just isn't attainable. Oh, we want perfection, don't we? I mean, we want the perfect job. We want the perfect spouse, the perfect family. I mean, I'd love to drive the perfect vehicle. But I think above all that, we want to be perfect. We have a desire to be perfect. And beloved, I'm here to tell you that that is actually a good desire, a right desire. And in fact, if we look at the pages of Scripture, I think we go beyond right and good. It's a necessary desire. Scripture says that we must be perfect. That's exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ said. He said, you must be perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect. And that's a tall order because perfection is absolute. But the good news of the gospel, beloved, the good news of the gospel is that in Jesus Christ, we can be perfect. And actually the spirit in our passage today says, goes even further than that says that in Jesus Christ, we have been made perfect in Jesus Christ. And that's what we need to hear today, is that God's people must be perfect. If we have any hope for glory, perfection is a non-negotiable. But in Christ Jesus, he has made us perfect. Now, perfection is a strong word. It's an absolute word. We're somewhat leery, we're uncomfortable with using absolute words. But we need to listen carefully and hear clearly what the Spirit says directly to us through his word on this topic. And so we will look at the necessity of perfection, the nature of our perfection, and the new covenant reality of our perfection. First, perfection is necessary. In fact, a theme that is recurring through the book of Hebrews is a theme of perfection, of being made perfect. It started back in chapter 2 where we were told that the Lord Jesus Christ, the founder, the champion, the perfecter of our faith, it was necessary. God saw it fit to make him perfect through suffering. And in chapter 5, we were told that having been made perfect, he 
became the source of salvation. That there's something related to him becoming perfect, being made perfect, that made him then the source of salvation. And as a result of that perfecting work, he, he was made perfect through suffering. He suffered in many ways, but specifically it is his suffering unto death. And as he became the champion of our faith, through his death, God appointed him to be our high priest, a high priest whose ministry was to make perfect his people. He was a, and there was a contrast between the former priests and the priesthood of Jesus. They said, well, if the, the former priests, if they, they could have made the worshipers perfect, wouldn't they? Why would there have been a need for another priesthood? But they couldn't because, we were told, the law made nothing perfect. Those ministered according to the law, and they were perfecting according to the law, but they could never make perfect. And so Jesus, who was appointed as a priest, is a son who has been made perfect forever, and he carries on this ministry. And this perfecting work had to be done through a sacrifice, a sacrifice but there was, he needed a new and better sacrifice because we were told that the former sacrifices were insufficient. Hebrews chapter 9 said that gifts and sacrifices cannot perfect the conscience of the believer. In Hebrews chapter 10, if you see it, verse 1, it says, Since the law is just a shadow of the good things, it can never, by the same sacrifices, make perfect those who draw near. They were insufficient to do what they needed to do. And so Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice. And we come to this glorious reality here in verse 14 of our text. For by a single offering, the offering of himself, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Perfection was necessary and perfection was accomplished through his single offering of himself. But we should talk about what the nature of this perfection is. Because perfection is a strong word. Think with me for just a second about what per perfect means. Or perfection. I think quite simp most simply, perfection means... Without error or blemish, there's nothing wrong. Students, if you uh, are perfect on a test, a perfect score is 100%, obviously, which means you got nothing wrong. There were no errors in your answers. Lexus wanted to tell us that they were going to build a vehicle that had no defects. Well, that's what they were striving to do. But if perfection is freedom from any errors or defects, we'd have to ask the question, well, what, what is an error? What's a defect? What's, how do we know what is wrong? There must be a standard, a standard that against which we compare things in order to know what is wrong. So students, again, if you went for the tests in school or papers, there is either an answer key or there's a rubric against which your answers are compared. And if there's anything out of 
accord, then it is wrong. It is the standard that determines what is right. Those types of tests, those types of standards are obvious. Some standards are less obvious. Somebody says, I'm hoping to go on the perfect vacation or I want the perfect dessert. There is a standard out there, but it's hard to identify because it is individual. It is personal. What might be my perfect vacation may not be my wife's perfect vacation. We would have different standards of perfection. But Jesus said, you must be perfect. You must be perfect. And he didn't mean that you must make no mistakes. He didn't mean that you need to pass every test with 100%. He didn't mean that Everything needed to be perfectly in order in your life. But there was a standard. And the standard is God's perfect, holy standard of his law. It is his law. He required from us perfect obedience, perfect sinlessness. Not mostly sin-free 100% sin-free. But the problem isn't is that we're not sin-free. We are sin-full. Ever since Adam's first sin and fall into sin, we have all been born into sin. Our every thought and inclination is sin. All of the time from life's first cry to final death, our life experience is marked by sin. We were imperfect from conception. But notice what he says. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. He has perfected. That's more perplexing than it seems on the surface. Because if something is, if perfection is freedom from any error, how can you make something perfect? How can something be made perfect? Students, if you turn in your test and you get the test back and that red ink at the top says 90%, how can that test be made perfect? You got things wrong. You can't undo what you've done. How is it perfected? I mean, I suppose the teacher could say, well, we're not going to count those questions that you got wrong. Everybody in the class got them wrong. We're going to just drop those questions. But God's law, when we're talking about our sin, God's law is eternal and unchangeable as his own being. And God has said, I will not overlook sin. The soul that sins shall die. And so, given the sins that we have committed, the sins of omission, the sins of commission, the sins of that are unintentional, the sins that were intentional, the sins of hatred and lust and greed and covetousness and laziness, the sins that you and I have committed, the sins we committed before we knew the Lord, the sins we knew since coming to the Lord, how in the world are we made perfect? What does that even mean the damage has been done we have broken god's law the answer beloved the the only answer that could be the case is god would have to forgive 
those sins. He would have to forgive them as though they never happened or as though they have been punished in Jesus Christ, dealt with in Jesus Christ. And beloved, that is exactly what God has done in the new covenant with, through Jesus' blood. This is the new covenant reality that is ours in Jesus Christ. It says, he has perfected those for all time, those who are being sanctified. Beloved, in Jesus Christ, you have been made perfect. You have been made perfect. And we can't miss the fact of what the Spirit says. That the champion of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he had to be made perfect through suffering. It was fitting that the founder of their faith should be made perfect through suffering and that through that same sacrifice by which he was made perfect, that was the sacrifice that he willingly offered to make us perfect. Jesus Christ was made perfect so that we could be made perfect in him. And see what it says? He was made, we have been made perfect for all time. He didn't, by his sacrifice, he didn't make you a better person. You're not slightly better. He didn't make it possible for you to be sin-free. If only you would just put to death these sins. He made you perfect, 100%. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because in him you are the righteousness of Christ. You are perfect. You are a perfect law-abiding child of God. You are a perfect law-abiding child of God. That means that with, we're talking about with respect to loving the Lord God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength. He has made you perfect. With respect to loving your neighbor as yourself, he has made you perfect. You are not an adulterer or a murderer or a one who dishonors their parents or a coward or any such thing. You are perfect in Jesus Christ. You have been made perfect, perfectly. And notice it doesn't say that God considers you as perfect. He says that we have been made perfect. Perfect. It is a definitive reality in Jesus Christ because God, when he says it, it is. He's the one who speaks and it comes to pass. And in Jesus Christ, he has made us perfect through the single offering of Jesus Christ. And for evidence of the fact that this is done, he gives two pieces of evidence. He gives the son's posture and the spirit's promise. First, the son's posture. He says that Jesus sat down. Remember, this is the perfecting work of Jesus, our high priest. The priest's posture was to stand in the presence of God. They can repeatedly offer these sacrifices and they could never sit down because their work was never done. But when Jesus offered this effective sacrifice, which actually did what it needed to do, he sat down. There was nothing more for him to do. 
he sat at the right hand of God the Father. Secondly was the Spirit's promise. Notice what it says in verse 15. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. And that witness that he gives are the promises of the new covenant. Specifically, the promise that God gives to forgive sins. Let's see what verse 18 says. Where there is forgiveness of these sins and transgressions, there is no longer any offering for sin. Beloved, through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. And it's no longer in any way associated with you. He promises to remember those sins no more. We are made perfect. But we have to be very careful here because this is not true for everyone, every person. And I fear that it's not true for some of us here. I hope that it is. But this is a new covenant reality, meaning that this is something that is only ours in Jesus Christ. See what it says in verse 14, for by a single offering he has perfected for all time. Who? Those who are being sanctified. Those who are being sanctified. Now kids, hopefully you know what sanctified means. Hopefully your parents or Sunday school teachers have explained this to you, but let's just make sure. Being sanctified is what we talk about with respect to growing in godliness, growing to be like Jesus becoming obedient to what God calls us to do. Um, And this is something that happens over the whole of our lives. It's not something that we're ever able to complete in this life. We should constantly be growing in godliness and holiness, but we will never arrive there in this life. But it's never done apart from Jesus. It's not something like, well, I can just be good enough. And I can just focus on being good. It's being made holy happens being as we're part of Jesus and united to him and have faith in him. And we have to ask, it says, who are those who are being sanctified? Well, who are those who are being sanctified? And Ephesians chapter 1 tells us that God chose us in Christ Jesus, before the foundation of the world, that we might be holy and blameless in his sight. The only ones that will be holy and blameless, the only ones who are sanctified, are those whom God, out of his mere good pleasure, has chosen to make holy and blameless. To be, to be sanctified requires the sanctifying spirit of Jesus Christ, where it requires the Holy Spirit to work in us. And if God has chosen us to be holy, we will certainly be holy. It will happen. He will, the Spirit will work in our hearts before we come to faith. The Spirit will put us in a position to hear the preached word of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Spirit will open our ears 
in our hearts to receive this gospel. The Spirit will work in us to put those sins to death and to walk in righteousness. And that is the work that will be done by the Spirit. We will be sanctified. And notice that these are the people that are made perfect. Not those who are in the process of being sanctified, but those who God has chosen to be holy and blameless. He has perfected through the single sacrifice of his son. It was God's eternal purpose to send his son to make perfect all of his people for all time with a single sacrifice. And then in the course of time to bring us to a point of faith and to sanctify us as he prepares us for glory. And so you might say, well, you're saying, Mark, that I am perfect. I've been made perfect. Uh, I can assure you that I am not perfect. I sin every day. I am struggling with sin. My beloved, look at the verb tense of what it says about sanctification. You're, you are talking about your struggle with sin. And he says, he's perfected past tense for all time. Those who are being present with future are being sanctified. These are the twin realities of the gospel, beloved, and you cannot fail to miss this. That in Jesus Christ, you have been made perfect. That the work has been complete, and yet the Spirit is still at work to prepare us for glory to conform us to his image, to help us to uh, put on Christ and put off the deeds of darkness. Yes, I know that you're not perfect experientially, but you are definitively perfect. God has made you perfect and you will see glory. I can assure you of that reality. But if this is if this is a reality for those who have been called by God to be holy and blameless, the question that we ought to ask is, how do I know for certain that I have been made perfect in Christ? And you can ask yourselves these questions. Do you have faith in Jesus Christ for your salvation? Do you recognize that you must be made perfect in order to see glory? And do you recognize that you cannot attain perfection on your own? But do you accept and receive that perfection that God has given to you through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ? And are you remaining in Christ and walking in him as he sanctifies you and prepares you for glory? Beloved, if you could answer yes to those questions, if you can answer yes to those questions, then you have God's holy, unbreakable word that he has made you perfect. You can rest on that as the bedrock of your faith. He is yours forever and ever. Beloved, if, that, if, if you aren't sure about those things, if you would answer no to any of those things, then the ministry that the Lord God has given to me is to declare to you that Jesus Christ commands you to come to him. 
He pleads with you. He has offered himself as a sacrifice for you. The Spirit says he will never turn one away who comes to Jesus. So whether you've been floundering in your faith or whether you have never known the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, come to me and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. It is a certainty. He will help us, cause us to persevere unto the end. And beloved, this, this Hebrews 10, 14, I cannot overstate the importance of this singular verse to you and to me. This is the true gospel, pure, clean, and concise. I exhort you, I plead with you, understand this verse. Meditate on it deeply and memorize it. Tattoo it on your heart. This is the reality and the, of our hope and our salvation. And beloved, this is so important because it allows us to forsake this relentless pursuit of perfection. We, we will never arrive at that goal, pursuing it on our own. We must accept what God has given to us in Jesus Christ. We must rest in it, and having received it, we must grow in it. We must be perfected in our lives, even as he has perfected us once and for all. You don't have to strive for it. It's already yours. It's already yours. But it's also essential because we need to really beware of good Christianity. We need to forsake good Christianity and pursue perfect Christianity. Good Christianity is this false gospel that I think seeps into our hearts and our minds and our mouths so very easily we find ourselves telling it to our kids and our friends and our neighbors. We admonish and encourage ourselves with that same false gospel. And what is good Christianity? Good, Christian, good Christianity says you need to be good, you need to do good, or you need to feel good. You need to be good. You need to you need to strive for perfection through obedience. You need to obey God's law. You need to focus on his laws and his rules and you know, put those things to death. Repent more. Do the right things because that's the way to get to glory. Or it's you need to do good. You need to serve. You need to achieve. You need to accomplish. You need to do all these things. It's an attempt to reach perfection through accomplishment. Or we need to feel good. We need to cheer up, have a positive attitude. We need to be happy and encourage one another and have a rosy outlook on life. And beloved, these things are good things. We are certainly commanded to put to death our sins, to walk in obedience. We're certainly called to serve with all of our time, talents, and treasures and all of our being. We're certainly called to rejoice always and to strive for the peace that our God gives us. But these things do not make us perfect. These things are not the sum and the substance of our faith. Only Jesus Christ is. These things that we focus on are the outworking 
that flow from the perfection that we have received in Jesus Christ. They are the means of growth and grace, the means of sanctification that must flow, but we must rest on what we have received in Jesus Christ. And put it this way, one day we will all stand before the judgment seat of the Lord. And if you can imagine four men coming before the judgment and the Lord says to them, why should I allow you to enter the presence of my glory? And the first man says, well, Lord, I have done my very best to obey your word as much as possible. I've sought to read it, to study it, to put it into practice. I've confessed the sins that I've tried to put those things aside. I've tried to do the right things. And the Lord says, well, but have you kept all of it? Have you kept it perfectly? Well, of course not. not. Not perfectly. Most of it. Most of it. And the Lord says, well, that's good, but that's not good enough. Because his word says, if we break one commandment, we have broken the whole law. You may not enter. Second man comes up and he says, well, I have served with all of my time, talents, and treasures. I have poured out my life as a drink offering, and I have done all these things. And the Lord will say, that is good, but what have you done more than what I have commanded you to do? What have you done more than what I've commanded you to do? You are only an unworthy servant. Where is your righteousness? Where is your holiness? That was good, but it was not good enough. The third person comes up and says, well, Lord, this has been a hard life, but I have done all that I can to maintain a positive attitude. I have sought to be an encourager to my friends and my neighbors and my brothers and my sisters. I have sought to be a light in the midst of my experience. And the Lord would say, but have you wept over your sin? And what is the source of your joy? Is it the true joy that flows from knowing that you are forgiven and made perfect in my son, Jesus Christ? Or is it just rash, emotional nonsense? It's good, but it's not good enough. You may not enter. And the fourth man walks up and he says, Lord, I seek to enter on the basis of the perfection of your son. The Lord would say, but have you kept my law? And he would say, well, of myself, no. But your word says that I have been made perfect in Jesus Christ. You, you promised that because of his sacrifice that my sins would be forgiven and that his righteousness would be counted as mine. So yes, I have kept your law perfectly. Well, what about serving? Have you, have you served have you used your gifts? 
Lord, I've not done a single thing that you did not prepare in advance for me to do. But yes, how could I not serve with all of my being? How could I not use my heart and soul and mind and strength? I was bought with a price. Yes, I've sought to serve God with my body. But what about your emotions? What about your heart? Lord, I've been in anguish over the depth of my sin from the moment I saw Christ. But I have a, you've given me an unspeakable joy, an unspeakable peace, knowing that I am safe and secure in him. I have clung to your promises that I am secure forever. So yes, I am full of joy. And to him, the Lord would turn and say, Welcome home, my beloved, my beloved child. You may enter into my rest. Oh, beloved, put your faith squarely in Christ and the work that he has done for you and me in the cross. Receive him as your Savior and rest and remain in him as God works in us that which is pleasing to his, in his sight. This is the only way that he will bring us to glory, but he will bring us to glory forever and ever. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your precious promises that are ours. Thank you for speaking to us clearly and directly. Sometimes we miss it, and it seems so hard to accept because it is so magnificent. Lord, help us to meditate and to walk in a way that is worthy of this calling that you have given to us in your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen.